All right, there you have it. Uh, hey, please turn in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11. And if you're working through this, uh, if, if you're visiting with us, we've been working through this for uh, quite a long time, and uh, we've made it to chapter 11, starting in verse 27. So let's read this together. This is God's word, Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer, with a capital D, of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to begin with, I want to remind you of uh, an important theme. Uh, we spoke of it uh, briefly last week, and um, let me flip to it real quickly. This ought to be Deuteronomy 34. So don't turn. Uh, let me just get there real quick. Uh, uh, not that quick. Numbers. Deuteronomy uh, 34. Listen to this. In um, 34 verse 10 of Deuteronomy, it says this. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that God sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That is quite an epitaph. Isn't it? It's pretty grand, this character, this person, Moses. And uh, it's a reminder of what the uh, readers of the original letter to the Hebrews would have been thinking of when they consider Moses. He's not just a little footnote. He's not some Bible character among a sea of Bible characters. When the writer of Hebrews mentions Moses in this pastoral epistle, uh, he expects, and he is right, they are quite familiar with Moses. Moses is a key figure. Um, and, and not only that, but um, Moses was a big deal to Israel, uh, uh, Israelite history and life. It's also a good time to refresh your understanding that the, the context has to do with retaining faith, okay? So he's writing to a pastor, writing to a congregation, um, and it's a, an issue of retaining faith uh, in, a, in a really tough time. Uh, retaining faith in the exclusive Christ. And it's in a culture um, that is pressing in all the time. And so the pastor's concern in writing this letter is that no other trust would intrude on their faith, no other God would creep in, no other method would satisfy that their hearts would only be resting in what um, Christ has accomplished. No other gymnastics of the soul are allowed. It's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, salvation in him alone. And so Moses is most unique out of all the persons that the scripture writer could use to prove his point because the temptation was for the Christians of that early church to go, you know what, 
we're just going to kind of slide back into the law of Moses, all right? Yeah, the gospel uh, that was presented to us was that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. He's the culmination of all of redemptive history. All of the kings point to the ultimate king, and all of the prophets point to the ultimate prophet, and all the sacrifices point to the ultimate sacrifices. He's the final word, the final prophet. That, that's the gospel. You tamper with that, and you throw out the whole gospel, and so the temptation was to revert back to the law of Moses, to, to forget that it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but back up to the system that was supposed to only point to him. And what the scripture writer does is he takes Moses and he says, hey, hey, hey. He holds up Moses and goes, guys, don't let your faith in the gospel waver because of Moses. Isn't that amazing? He uses the very thing that they, t- they tend to want to go back to. And so there are five by faith statements in this, in this block on Moses. All right, another big giant piece of real estate was Abraham. Had more verses than this, but there are five by faith statements about Moses. By faith, Moses' mom and dad hid him. By faith, uh, he chose God's people over Pharaoh's house. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, he led people uh, through the waters of the Red Sea. And so last time we covered the first two, today we'll cover the last three, um, and we'll likely refer to uh, those other two again. But do get the main thrust here. Uh, The body of Christ had a culture of Christians. They were surrounded by a a culture that belittled them, a culture that uh, dismissed them, um, a culture that uh, persecuted them, that wanted them to speak less exclusively about Jesus, um, uh, a culture that uh, thought them to be foolish and unscientific. And they, they were surrounded by a culture who thought that they were bigoted in their moral claim about uh, how to live everyday life. And does that sound familiar to you? Are you not in a culture increasingly that belittles you, that thinks you're stupid, that thinks you're against science? Are you not in a culture that wants you to speak less exclusively about Jesus Christ? I mean, for these folks, it's like, look, look, uh, you know, would you just please, uh, it's okay to, 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 to dig this Jesus, but would you just get with the program, uh, coexist, tolerate everything, um, and uh, just kind of shut up about the exclusivity about Jesus. That's the big rub there, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's the only way to God. You mean, what about all these sincere people all over the world? I've traveled a lot, and I've seen a lot of sincere people. He's the only way. That's the gospel message. You tamper with that, you throw it all out. All right, so what is the big point out of this today? What, what does the scripture writer want us to see? Uh, he wants us to be encouraged. And so uh, I put it this way, faith endures, obeys, and goes. Um, He wants them to be empowered by that, and uh, I would love for you to be also. So not only do we get an idea of the working faith in this story, but you you also get a picture of um, an idea of what our faith must be. It must be a faith that endures, obeys, and goes. And uh, I'll tell you, it will give you confidence. Let's look at it together. Uh, Faith over fear. Verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, um, I, I've, been, uh, 
I've been longing for the past couple of weeks. You know, we had Easter last week and we were in this two weeks ago. I've been longing to return to something that was said just prior to this, all right? And um, it is this in verse 26. It says that Moses considered, here, here it is, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, uh, the reproach of Christ, that, that expression is a, is a powerful one. If you look at some other translations, it'll say uh, disgraced for Christ or suffering for Christ or insulted for Christ. And what's so amazing is he, he, I, he thought that the reproach of Christ, that being humiliated for Christ was a greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. Is that not amazing? Well, that's what it is for a Christian, where, where your relationship with God in Christ moves to the very top spot, where everything else is underneath it. Every other affection is underneath it. Every form of comfort is underneath it. Um, uh, that, that's, what, uh, that's what Moses was. Now, this idea for reproach is interestingly tied to the Savior. Isn't that interesting? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, a um, couple things here. First of all, don't ever let anybody tell you that uh, if you become a Christian, all your problems will go away, um, that you'll have lots of money and uh, you'll have perfect health forever. Uh, hint, we all croak. Um, so at some point, your health is gonna fail you. Uh, don't let anybody tell you that it's some kind of magic thing and, and all your problems go away and your life gets immediately so much better and easier. That's not, that's not true. Um, the Savior speaks directly against that. Neither, ladies and gentlemen, should you ever buy the lie that um, if you do some good in this world, you'll be paid back equally with some good. You know what that is? Karma. It's, it's a lie. Um, don't ever think that it's this tit-for-tat uh, kind of situation. Um, th- there is a built-in reproach of Christ on the part of those outside looking in on Christianity. There's a built-in uh, reproach. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, if you'd like to flip left just about, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, 20 pages, um, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the uh, Galatian church, which is really just a collection of churches up in the north. Um, He says this, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now he's saying, um, you you let let a little uh, straying from the, apostolic gospel message creep in, it affects everything negatively. Don't do it. It affects everything. Um, He goes on to say, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. All right, preaching a different gospel. But here, verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying, friends, if, if the answer is trying your best, then, then what am I doing? I, I, I'm, I'm, why am I being persecuted? If I'm preaching that, I'm not. The offense of the cross has been removed. And by the way, in verse 12, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. 
That's a very powerful uh, biblical idea. He's uh, saying, uh, well, anyway, uh, look it up. Um, But the offense of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, the cross is offensive. The cross challenges you. The offense of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, is that salvation is a gift. That's the offense of the cross. You think it would be wonderful news. But when it comes to doing right and being right, um, the, the, the fallen human inclination is to be able to just contribute a little bit, to try a little bit harder, to try to be the best person you can possibly be, to try to be nice, and uh, maybe that'll soften God up a little bit if he's up there. The offense of the cross is that salvation is a gift. God does 100% and you bring 0%. If you think you bring 0.5%, you've thrown out the whole gospel. It is a gift, it is a gift, it is a gift. And all that hocus pocus you hear about doing penance, can you imagine? Jack's bracket, eat no fat. Jack's bracket, eat no fat. Jack's bracket, eat no fat. Forgiven. That's ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. I recited my lines. I will be a good boy. I will be a good boy on the chalkboard a hundred times. You think that is going to impress a holy God? How can it be so? How could it satisfy a courtroom when things are put in the scriptures forensically, forensic terminology? All that hocus pocus like we talked about last time about going up to the cross and nailing your sins to the tree. They've been nailed to the tree for you. God 100%, you 0%. Now, the spiritual religious pressures that were felt back in this people's day that the scripture writer was addressing were these. Be Jewish in all the ways you could possibly be, all satisfactory ways. And listen, be Jewish in all satisfactory ways and just kind of admire Jesus from afar. Then all this kind of hubbub will stop if you just be Jewish as much as possible and just kind of slide Jesus into your life. But that's not the gospel. Admiring Jesus from afar, the onlooking world would say, that's fantastic. No problem at all. Um, But it's the same today, ladies and gentlemen. If we would just dismiss all this absolute standard business, you know, we think there's an absolute standard of right and wrong somewhere outside of us that we just don't get. It's not just a cultural thing. Um, It's always bad to murder someone. It's always bad to rape someone. I think that no one would agree, disagree with that on earth. It's bad to, to steal from someone. Where do those standards come from? Cultural norms? Or is it an ultimate standard? That's what Christians believe. There's an ultimate standard. God's got the standard. He's the standard of truth. He's the standard of righteousness. He's the standard of what is good. He's the standard of what is love. Okay, so the culture would say, would you guys shut up about that, please? Just clamp it down and just kind of fit into the culture, melt into it, and just let Jesus kind of slip in a little bit on the side and shut up about him, please. The same kinds of pressures, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, the gospel is beautiful, friends. Uh, At the same time, it's an offense, per the apostle Paul, uh, and it's a reproach, per the writer of Hebrews. Look at our our text in context one more time. Uh, Verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That, ladies and gentlemen, and what we just talked about, what led up to that 
is what gives Moses such deep perspective. He was emboldened, we see here, because his faith and, was, and reliance was upon God, um, who, who is the sturdy one behind it all, uh, the giver behind it all. What we're supposed to glean here is this. Um, it says, by faith, Moses left Egypt not being afraid. Um, uh, here's a paraphrase. By faith, he wasn't afraid. Um, here's another paraphrase. He believed in the spiritual and invisible God. And I say that because there's a textual issue here. When it says by faith, he left Egypt not being afraid, um, we, got a, we got a textual difficulty. For centuries, ladies and gentlemen, people have looked at that and go, well, by faith, Moses left Egypt uh, not being afraid. Um, he left Egypt twice. Right, uh, he left um, the Midianite scene when he kills that guy, and then he goes back and he leaves again. And when he, when he meets with Pharaoh and the plagues come and all that stuff, all right. So there are two times that that that, that people can go. Well, is, does this refer to the first time uh, when he left, and then there was forty years of uh, time passed, and then he comes back and leads the people out of captivity, or is it the second time? And uh, you can find giant names, John Owen and, uh, and uh, Chrysostom and uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, all these just old, old names. For centuries, 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 people have debated on which one it is. And, uh, and so um, it, it's especially important for us to consider it because it says, um, by faith Moses left, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Which one is it? Well, some people go, well, obviously it has to do with the plagues. I mean, uh, he's not afraid. He goes and faces Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Uh, God says, let my people go so they may worship me in the desert. He faces Pharaoh, goes back, the plagues come and so on. It obviously means that, but there's a problem. If it does mean that, which lots of people do, I'd say about 50% of scholars go that way and 50% go the other way. If it's that way, then all these by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith about Moses, uh, the order gets goofed up. It doesn't seem to logically flow. And um, for that reason, I'll tell you that uh, I like keeping the by faiths in logical procession. Chronological procession too, but logical procession. So that's how I'm taking it. It seems to sync with the passage itself and it seems to sync with Stephen's description of Moses, which is quite lengthy in Acts chapter seven. It seems to, it seems to connect um, more closely with uh, other parts of the scriptures, okay? So that's, that's how I'm taking it. But then the big question is this. How can this statement, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, how can that statement be reconciled with the account itself? It says, um, this is back in uh, Exodus uh, 3, you don't, excuse me, Exodus 2, you don't have to turn, I'm already here. One day, Moses had grown up, he goes out to the people, he looks on their burdens, okay, so Moses is Jewish, he's living in Pharaoh's house, he's enjoying all the Egyptian wealth, he's gonna grow up and be important. Um, and one day, he looks out and he, he knows he's Jewish, he knows he's a Hebrew, he knows he's an Israelite, and he's observing the people and their hardships. And he looks on their burdens and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing if anybody was looking. No one's looking. So he uh, goes out, hides in the sand. He goes out the next day, they're struggling. Oh, oh excuse me, he, he kills the guy, hides him in the sand. Next day, um, he gets kind of found out and so on. And then it says this, Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. 
When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, it says that Moses was afraid and Pharaoh wanted to kill him, and so Moses fled. How does that reconcile with this description of by faith, not being afraid, um, he, uh, he's not afraid of the anger of the king and so on. How can those things reconcile? Well, I got a great description in this book right here. Um, it says this, this is, uh, who's this guy? Philip Hughes, this is, a very, this is an old, very good commentary on the, on the book of Hebrews. Um, he says, um, the answer to this question is that it was not a personal fear of Pharaoh, but the awareness of Moses' destiny as the deliverer of the covenant people that caused him to take flight. Had he remained at that juncture, this destiny would have been thwarted, humanly speaking, because he would have been killed. And so, impelled by faith in the divine purpose for his life, Moses took refuge in Midian. That he was a man of courage rather than fear is shown by the risk he took in coming to the help of his compatriots who were being ill-treated and in the boldness of his return at God's command after the lapse of 40 years. Um, And he likens it to Jesus whose hour had not yet come. I mean, you can find uh, multiple places, especially in the Gospel of John, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. When his time has come, he prays to the Father in the garden, Father, the time has come. And so I think that's kind of the idea. Moses, Moses wasn't, oh, Pharaoh. Oh. It, I think the answer is he knew he was a man in God's redemptive machinery and uh, he fled, and he's cited for his faith in uh, verse 27. And it keeps all the my faiths together. I think that he was moving in faith, even though um, he went from Pharaoh. All right, so all that to say, what's an application for you? It says in our passage that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That idea there, you can, you can look up, you would find different words in there uh, if you looked up in different translations, but being afraid of the anger of the king, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The idea of seeing God, this invisible God, is this idea, friends. It's kind of like when a hunter uh, looks down the scope of his rifle. He looks down the scope of his rifle and he, he hones in on, the, on the, the thing he's about to kill. Um, great concentration, fixed, right? Um, how about a painter painting something? Um, I'm going to do a portrait of Millie, and I'm just I'm staring at her, and I'm back at my thing, and I'm staring at her. I'm, my gaze is fixed on her. That's the idea of Moses enduring, seeing God who is invisible. How about a mother's eyes on a newborn baby? They hand her the baby, and she's, she's like, oh, husband, hey, but baby, you know, fixed on the baby, um, that, kind of, that kind of thing, that's, that, that's the, the heart of Moses seeking after God. And it's the point of the chapter. I mean, chapter 11, verse one says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's, that's the definition of, of faith. And so the subject matter remains faith. And the lesson for your life is um, that we are to live the life of faith, which is to fix our Gaze to fix our thoughts, the center of our person uh, on this God who is behind all the scenes. You, you have to ungrip in the power of the Spirit all the things you cling to that aren't Him. All right, um, second point faith over death. Um, look at verse 28. By faith, 
Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer, capital D, that's God, uh, ultimately, of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, uh, that's the last of the plagues, 10, I think, uh, last of the plagues, that it was most severe. And, um, you know, the firstborn was, was taken uh, from the people of Egypt. And um, previously, you know, the, the other plagues were really, they were mockeries. Um, you know, there was a God of the Nile, and uh, the Nile is affected. Uh, there was a, a um, uh, God of frogs, and the frogs show up and, and, and cause turmoil. There was a God of the sun, etc. cetera. Um, it makes a mockery of these false gods with a small g. Uh, but this one has life and death consequences. Um, the, the firstborn would be killed. Now, quick, quick application. Um, I think that fallen humanity, and I mean, I look at my own life, friends. Fallen humanity, I think, is so stubborn that all we really can understand is um, calamity <laughs> a lot of times. I mean, we get so set, we get so comfortable, we have so many methods and systems of, of managing our lives and keeping things the way we want them that all we understand is a big hard clunk on the head with a frying pan to, to get our attention. And uh, for these Egyptians to let the Israelites free, man, it took some severe motivation. In fact, um, once they leave and head to the Red Sea, as we see in the next verse, Pharaoh chases them. His heart is hardened again, and he chases them again, even after the firstborn has been killed and so on. And by the way, that last plague, taking the firstborn, it was the firstborn, uh, all the sons, firstborn son, and like the cows, I mean, imagine the firstborn cow. What, it, what, even the cows? Wait, people are putting it all together going, the firstborn? Whoa, yeah, get out, Israel. Take all the stuff you want and get out of here. That's how God delivers them. Now, imagine how kooky this would look. God tells the Hebrews, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb. I want you to kill it. I want you to eat it for dinner. Okay, that's not as weird, is it? Is it? You kill it and eat it for dinner? Not as freaky. Now I want you to take the blood of that animal and I want you to put it on the, the frame of your door. And uh, every house that has blood on it is going to be passed over. That's the Passover, and God spares them. You get the principle? There's blood covering, and the judgment of God passes over. Do you think that sounds kind of like a gospel story? Blood covers, the judgment of God passes over? Indeed. Uh, That's a gospel parallel, and I've got a a good quote for you. In fact, it's kind of funny. Um, (laughs) This guy is quoting this guy, but I'm going to read it from this book because I like the way he's (laughs) condensed what that guy says. So, um, But listen to this. He says... um, Yeah. If the blood of a lamb then preserved the Jews unhurt in the midst of the Egyptians and in the presence of so great a destruction, much more will the blood of Christ save us for whom it has been sprinkled not only on our doorposts, but on our souls. For even now the destroyer is still moving around in the depth of night, but let us be armed with Christ's sacrifice since God has brought us out from Egypt from darkness, from idolatry. Friends, the message is, 
There's safety in the gospel. Um, God is not safe for the sinner. Not safe. Must judge. Must punish. Must put sin and the sinner away from him. As far as east is from west. Away from his grace. Oh, present with his wrath. But away from the benefits of his grace. That's very frightening. But if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, God calls you a child, welcomes you, says, address me as father, and says to your soul that you're safe, safe forever. That's what this gospel is. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He paid the sin debt that you couldn't pay. He covered you, the blood of the lamb. That's why he's called the lamb by John the Baptist. All right, last, um, last point. Faith over the impossible. Verse 29. Um, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, this last verse uh, that we're taking today is is often tucked into the next section. In fact, in your Bibles, it might be a totally different paragraph, 29 through uh, 31. Uh, We'll talk about it more next week too. But um, not only is Moses uh, going himself, but he's leading. I think it's still good to tuck this into the, the, the thoughts about Moses. Here's, here's the takeaway, ladies and gentlemen. God provided their path of rescue. God brings them up to the Red Sea. It's impossible. The, the Egyptian army's chasing them. They're trapped. It's impossible. And God takes and he makes a way out of no way. And, uh, you know... Um, when you, see, when you see pictures of it and drawings and movies and stuff like that, it's, it's almost kind of carnival-ish. Um, the, the, the Red Sea opens up and it's hard for us to understand and they kind of go through. And uh, if you think of like movies from the 1950s and stuff, it's a, it's a little kind of camp uh, as they go through there. But think about it. You know how many people went through there? It was 600,000 plus men um, so that's times two. It was 1.2 million men and women, plus if there were two kids each, uh, and it was probably more than that. You're talking somewhere between two and three million people and a bunch of stuff and a bunch of animals and a bunch of stuff rolling on wheels and, and all that, all the spoils that they left Egypt with. They come to this dead end, and the thing opens up, and they're not through the mud, trudging. It's as if on dry ground. Whatever that means, the waters separate. God holds them uh, like he holds the, the... I don't know about you, but I go down to Destin. I'm straying from my notes. But uh, so we're in the beach chair and uh, it's time for dinner. And you know we eat a little bit late, Tammy and me. So uh, we'll, we like 7.30-ish uh, uh, reservations down there in, in Florida. And so for my wife to be ready and polished and looking good about 3.15. She's like, okay, I got to go in and uh, get busy, you know? And, um, and so I just sit out there and I'm like the last umbrella and chair they take in, you know? And the guys kind of get used to me. They're like, oh yeah, Schmo over there. Uh, Schmoloff is the last one in. And uh, I just love staring at the ocean. I love listening to the sound. I love reading a book under there. But you know, I think about it over and over and over again. I'm like, it's just amazing that the water stops, isn't it? I mean, the water comes to an edge and it just doesn't, it's, it just stops. And it's affected by the moon. I mean, is that not wild? 
Um, and so God parts the sea and he stops the water. He's well able to stop the water, but he makes it as if on dry ground and um, they go through. And it must have been terrifying. Well, friends, uh, application for your life. Um, you know, per our, per our big point here, faith endures, obeys, and goes. Uh, you may have noticed that that's basically a summary of our three points. Uh, faith endures, even through fear. It obeys, even at, at, at threat of death. And faith uh, goes. So yes, um, God provides a way. Yes, God brings up to, up to a certain point. But at some point, they have to step in faith and go. And I'm not saying that God doesn't provide that ability either. But I am saying that you do step forward in faith and you go. So ladies and gentlemen, what have we learned today? Faith, oh, excuse me, fear. We all feel it. Death, uh, we all face it. The impossible, only God can provide. And uh, what faith does is it um, submits to God, adheres to what he says, takes comfort in who he is, and takes a step forward in faith and obediently goes. And I think that's uh, the message from this passage. Let's pray that God would do that in our lives. Righteous Father, um, we thank you that you have um, made a way where there was no way before. Um, You're a God who all through redemption takes an impossible scenario and makes it possible. Takes another impossible scenario and makes it it possible. You take a, a pagan idol worshiper and you choose him. And um, you take um, parents who can't have kids and, and give them an ability and more parents who can't have kids and give them an ability and just on and on, just all these impossible things and impossible for us, Lord, impossible for us to be received by you. And yet you found a way, you made a way. Um, nothing is impossible with you. So my prayer, Lord, is that you would encourage these people. I pray, Lord, that they would... Um, that they would walk out with a song of the gospel in their hearts afresh, that they might be strengthened and encouraged by that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.